Amen. If you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Turn there, scroll there, uh, whatever you need to do to get there. Matthew chapter 6. We're just going to look at one verse in Matthew 6 in just a few moments. And uh, if you do not have a copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you um, at our Welcome Center. You can pick one up before you leave today, uh, free of charge. Uh, No credit card, blood type. Social Security number needed. You can just have a Bible. Um, if you would rather have it on your device, tablet, or phone, you can get our app. You can download our app in your app store, North Goodland, BC. And then on the app, there's actually a Bible feature on there. You can have it that way as well. And so uh, this morning, we're going to kind of do what we've been talking about for a couple of weeks. Um, and God has allowed us to be able to gather together today and to do what we've been kind of wanting to do. Uh, this was originally going to be talked about the very first Sunday of January. And we kind of know that I kind of shared, if you were here with us, uh, the Lord kind of led in a different direction that week. And so we talked a little bit about being a living sacrifice. And we'll talk about that a little bit again here in a review in just a moment. Um, And then last week, I kind of prayerfully considered just with everything going on, we were going to push it back another week. Um, And last week we talked about what happens when we decide to step up and live for Christ. Well, there's great blessings that come from that. There's great challenges that come from that. Our own internal flesh will kind of war against us and say things like, you can't do it, it's not possible. But what we talked about last week, the hardest part of stepping up and living out for Christ in the world we live in today is the criticism we get when people look at us and say, well, yeah, but I've heard this before. Yeah, you've you've said that before. Uh, We treat it just like any other resolution. Then the hardest part of being a living sacrifice and being committed to that can be the outside voices that start to discourage us and try to remind us of who we used to be. And I'm so thankful for the song we just sang, amen, that we are not prisoners to sin anymore. We are free in Christ. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, wait a minute, but I still struggle. We all struggle with sin. Until the day we are put in the ground and we see him face to face, we're all going to struggle with sin. But sin doesn't have to control you. Sin doesn't have to get victory over you. Romans chapter 6, if you've never really studied it out, write it down. We're not going to talk about this morning, but Romans chapter 6 is one of the most freeing passages in Scripture, one of the most freeing chapters in Scripture. And what it does is it tells you the reality of your relationship to Christ, but also your relationship to sin. And the Bible is pretty clear. You are dead to sin, and sin is dead to you. You do not have to live any longer therein. And so many people, even believers, so many Christians will tell themselves, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace anyway, and I'm just going to sin, so I just might as well give in. That's the most defeated mentality we can have as a follower of Christ. Nowhere in the Bible, once somebody receives Christ, are they called a sinner by God anymore. That's an awesome reality check, by the way. Because in the Bible, you know what the Bible refers to Christians as? Now, Paul says, you used to be like this. You used to be like that, but he says, but now you're the beloved of God. You're a saint. You're a son. You're a daughter. It's a newness of life. And again, I want to kind of unpack this morning. Now that we've kind of personally, we've made that commitment to Christ, we want to be surrendered to him in all things. We're going to be that living sacrifice. And if you missed it, you can get all the sermons online at northgoodland.org, or you can get them on our app as well. All the sermons are there. You should be able to get all those on there. Uh, but if you, if you think about it, we've committed ourselves personally. We've kind of tackled some of the challenges we're going to face once we've made that personal commitment. But this morning, I want to talk about individually and collectively as a church, how do we have that kingdom focus this year? How do we maintain that kingdom focus this year? And the reason I'm calling it a kingdom focus, and some of you have been with us for a while, some of you maybe are newer with us this morning, 
uh, our mission statement, kind of our purpose statement, is in the bottom of your bulletin. And I'm going to review that in just a little bit here. But when we talk about a kingdom focus, that's the, the mission of our church. That's what we want to be as a church. And so I've been talking the last couple of weeks about how has God positioned us in this county, in this township, to make an impact for Christ? Well, it can't start with the church to me. Right? It can't start the church, then me. It has to start with me, then the church. And here's what I mean when I say that. The church in Scripture in the New Testament, it's not a building. Some of you have studied this out. Some of you know Greek way better than I know Greek. You know that the original word that they were using for church in the early church in the New Testament was not the word we use for church. We use the word church referencing a building, a place of worship. Even when you were growing up, and maybe even recently, people call this building the house of God. The house, the building of God. The original word in the Greek, ekklesia, and I'm not going to try to spell it for you because I'd probably get it wrong, okay? The word itself is better translated congregation. We think church building, a place I go. But in the New Testament, when it talks about the church, it's the gathering together, and the theological term is regenerated, born again believers. It's when the believers in Christ, those that receive Christ, come together, gather together to worship him, to edify Christ and to edify one another. That's the church. And so if we want to see our church, big church, do great things for God in Lapeer County, we don't start with church. We start with individual. Because me as an individual focusing on my commitment to Christ by his grace, let me say this again, we don't do any of this in our own strength. If you try to be a better person in 2020 on your strength and in your strength, you will fail. I'm just here to tell you. I, I, I hate to tell you that, but it's true. We can't be a better person by ourselves. We need his grace. We need his strength. We need his wisdom. He need him to equip us to be all that God has called us to be. And I've been saying it for a long time. I'll say it again. You want to be a better husband in 2020? The guys are like, man, I want to be a better dad in 2020. I mean, I can be honest with you. I've, I've had some pretty big parental mishaps this last year. I blew it a few times. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better husband. Maybe there's some ladies in here. I want to be a better wife. I want to be a better mom. I want to be a better grandparent and to be able to really nurture my, kid, my grandkids and, 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 and the community and the understanding of Christ. Well, guess what? It all starts and ends with your relationship personally with Jesus Christ. That, that's the foundation. So once we've understood our personal commitment, now we can move to, well, what are we trying to accomplish as a church? What are we trying to do as a body of Christ in this community? And so I mentioned to you last week, it's been a while since we've done it, but we are going to use some, woo, technology. Boy, we're going to use some technology. I got a little clicker. Look at this thing. The laser pointer on this thing. Look at, where's that? Look at that laser pointer. That's insane. Okay. This is brand new. I'm loving this thing. Okay. We had one that was like super old and like, it was in the kids' room. And I don't know what substances were on the handle of that thing. But, like, you'd be using it and go, like, what? It just stuck to my head. It's nasty, okay? There was, like, dried boogers. It was nasty, okay? So I'm super excited. But I love new toys, new technology. It's always great. But, no, I want to walk this out this morning because I truly believe that we have been called by God and positioned by God in this community at this location for his will and his purpose and his glory. Now, I don't think it was an oops accidental thing that this church was just plopped here. 
Some of you know this church, North Carolina Baptist Church. This church, this is the second location of our church, meaning this is not the original location where our church started. Uh, there's a little church over here on Clear Lake Road and Brown City Road, where Brown City kind of hits Clear Lake. You can see there's a little country church there. That's where North Goodland started. It was uh, founded as a Baptist church in 1898. Okay, so we're talking a long time ago. This church was built as a growing church in 2003. We moved from that location to this location. And if you know the story of when we tried to build this church, I mean, we faced all kinds of issues trying to get this church built. Uh, there was some, just some different issues in the township, some different individuals that didn't want a church here. And it was just crazy what God was trying to, to do here and how people were opposing that. But God is gracious, amen? And when God's will is something, man cannot stop God's will, amen? And so God wanted a church planted here, so he planted a church here. And I don't think it's an accident that we exist where we exist, and I don't think it's an accident we exist when we exist. Now, I know the world is crazy. I mentioned it in my prayer. I know there's all kinds of stuff going on around us. I know politically, socially, culturally, right? There's all these crazy things. And I I said it before, and I'll say it again. We, as followers of Christ, have no business living in fear. We have no business living in fear. Now, some of us are more prone to that than others, and I understand that. It's something we're all working with at times. But, I mean, we have a God who is over all things. I don't fear what the government is, is or isn't doing. Whatever. Uh, we said it before, with the, and I know we got elections, right, and all that. And I, I can't wait for election season to be over. You know why? The commercials. I just want one guy to get on and go, I'm not talking about the other candidates. I'm going to tell you what I want to do, and this is why I want to do it. That's what I want to hear from a candidate. Don't tell me why these other guys, I shouldn't vote for them. Tell me why I should vote for you just because of who you are. But that's not really how politics works, is it? It's always like, well, I'm better than this guy. Well, I don't think that guy's that great, so you being better than him doesn't do a lot of good. Okay? But I mean, when all this stuff's going on, it just, this was the same thing a few years ago, right? Everybody was all amped up. Well, if this person doesn't get in, or if this person does get in, it's all over with. His church has gone through 2,000 years of crazy in this world, and it still stands. And it's still strong, and it's still reaching people for the glory of God. And so I'm not concerned as a pastor too much to what's going on around us as far as that goes. I know we need to be aware, but man, we serve an awesome God who is powerful above all things. And so how have we been positioned right here in in Lapeer County to make a difference for Christ? Well, I believe when I became the pastor in 2012, I sat down for a couple months when I really kind of felt like that might be the direction the church would go. And I remember praying and praying and praying and reading the New Testament through so many times. Okay, what, what is the early church about? I mean, when the church started in the book of Acts, going all the way through, even in the Gospels, what do we see the church being about? What, what were they doing? What were they focused on? What was their emphasis? And then I would sit back and say, okay, as our church is positioned right here at this time in this culture, in this community, what is our emphasis going to be? What are we going to try to, to, to demonstrate or to model as a church? Then I came across a book around the same time. Our staff was given a book years ago called The Kingdom-Focused Church. Now, there's some stuff in the book I was like, eh, I don't really care for all that. But the premise of the book is what stood out to me. The premise of the book was so simple that we're here for something bigger than us. That we're here for something bigger than just making a name for North Goodland or making a name for me as a pastor or you as a church. That we're here for his kingdom and his glory. 
And so I sat down and through kind of looking at the New Testament, getting some insight from some other people, some wisdom from other men that I, I trust in the Lord, looking at kind of the premise of this book that I came across years ago, I thought, man, we need to be a kingdom-focused church. And so I wanted to kind of share with you our mission statement. So this is not new to many of us. Again, it's in your bulletin. But this is our mission statement. As a church, our mission, we believe, is to be a kingdom-focused church that loves God, loves others, and loves to serve. A kingdom-focused church that loves God, loves others, and loves to serve. Now, again, remember, this is not starting church down. We're saying as individuals, we pray this is our focus and our mindset. That as a follower of Christ, I am focused on this as a, as a purpose for my daily life. Now, again, you might say, well, where's the scripture for that? I want to go to Matthew in chapter 6, and I want to see just a part of this and help us to understand what we're talking about here. So Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. It says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. All these things shall be added unto you. What's the key in that verse? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's an encouragement to us individually, and I believe it's a challenge and an encouragement to us as a church. And so what is a kingdom focus? What does it mean to focus on his kingdom? And so I want to share this with you. This is kind of how I would define what a kingdom focus looks like. Okay, what a kingdom focus looks like. We believe that he is building his kingdom right here, right now, in this world. Now, what does that mean? He's adding to his kingdom, the body of Christ. I believe that he's adding to his kingdom right now in this world, and he's using the local church to make eternal kingdom investments in others through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that God is doing that. I believe that he's using the local church to make kingdom investments in other people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's our focus. We want to be on point with what God is on, on his desire for for this world. We want to be on the same page, if you will. Well, how do we do that? How do we live this out? Well, if you're taking notes, the first thing we need to do is we need to start, being a kingdom-focused church, we need to start by keeping our eyes on him. Now, this is exactly what we talked about a couple weeks ago, right? We need to keep our eyes on him. In Matthew chapter 6, in context, Jesus makes this statement during the famous Sermon on the Mount. And it seems to be in connection with people worrying about their food or their drink or what the future holds. So people seem to be worried about those things. Now, I don't know about you. Anybody, I'm not going to say currently because I don't want to embarrass anybody, but has anybody in here had to literally, truly live paycheck to paycheck, and you literally were like, in the, in the past, you were like, I don't know, man. We got to really budget this out so we can have food for the next couple of weeks. Anybody been there in your life? Okay, stop. Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. Look around. Okay, this is encouraging. I'm encouraged, okay? Right? Has anybody ever worried about what the future holds? Okay. Some of you are like, nope, I'm good. I'm content. I don't understand how you live, okay? No, I'm just kidding. Should we worry about what the future holds? No, right? We know this. We know we're not supposed to be worried and consumed about what the future holds. We know that. But Jesus' point here is saying, listen, when you get wrapped up in worrying about all these provisions and all these things and the daily needs and all this, you start getting your eyes off of him and putting them on what? What you're worried about. I got to make this happen, okay? 
I'm so consumed with worry. What if it doesn't happen? I remember I heard it years ago, and it's still one of the most amazing quotes to me. I don't know who said it or where I read it, but I read it years ago. An individual that was later on in years, towards the end of his life, was asked by a young man, is there anything in this life that you regret? Is there anything in this life that you regret? Now that you're coming to the end of your life, can you give me some wisdom and encouragement? Is there anything you regret that you wish you could have done differently? Now let that sink in for a second. I could give a laundry list of things that I regret in my life. I'm only 38, right? I'm still younger than Pastor Nathan, so we're good. So the beard's impressive, though. I'm super envious of the beard. But anyway, this, this gentleman thought for a few moments. He looked at this young man. He said, the number one regret I have in my life is all the time I spent worrying about things that never even happened. Think about that. The number one regret this man had was all the time he spent worrying about things that never actually happened. That's us. We can, we can fall into that same trap. So I understand we all fall into this. And what was Jesus' point here? He says, listen, listen. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. Those provisions you need, specifically the idea of like food and drink, right? Raiment, clothing, those kinds. Of, he says, if you seek me first, all those things will be added unto you. This is not a verse to get rich quick. Okay, now I know that preaches on some certain networks on satellite. That's not what this verse is saying. All it's saying is keep your eyes on me. Keep your attention on me. Follow me. There's something Jesus said quite often in the Gospels. Follow me. And you won't worry about these things anymore because I will provide them. Or the other possibility here is as I'm drawing closer and closer to Christ, I realize I need less and less material things. So I'm not as wrapped up in having all the stuff. I'm so content in Christ. This is familiar. What did we say? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Right? Submit yourselves, surrender yourselves to him. Because of why? The mercies of God. Hebrews. Right? Keep your eyes on him. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The author and finisher of our faith. I don't worry about today or tomorrow and the little things of life even the big things that really are little things that we make big things because I have my eyes fixed on the one who is the author and praise God, finisher of my faith. You know what that means, finisher? He will see it to completion. That means one day I'll leave this world and I'll stand before him. And what does John say? I will see him and I will be like him. He's going to finish what he started. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Some of us need to write that down and, and put that on a mirror somewhere at home and really let that sink in. He which begun a good work in you will complete it. He's not going to leave you or forsake you. He's working in you. And so how do we have this kingdom focus? How are we driven with his kingdom? Because our eyes are on him. We're fixated on his kingdom for his glory. We want to take the principle of that passage and see that as his church, our minds and hearts must be fixed on his kingdom. We don't need to worry about where finances will come from to support the church or what lies ahead and all the things that go on. We can trust in, that he is in control. This is his church and he is trustworthy. Peter, or Jesus was talking to disciples And Jesus told Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. You know what I love about that passage? There's so much in there. Study it out. 
But you know what I love about that passage when, when, when Jesus says that? He doesn't say, Peter, go build my church. Right? He doesn't say to me, Pastor John, go build my church. No, no, no. He says, I will build my church. He added unto the church daily such as should be saved in the book of Acts. See, we're not here to make something happen. We're not here to make finances work or try to work it all out. We're here to be good stewards of what he is doing in his church. And we trust him. By the way, this isn't true just of church. This is and can be true in our personal lives as well. And I have to share with you, specifically in finances, some of you know this, but I can't talk about our church and our history and where we want to go without mentioning this. We were at a point in 2011, 12, and 13 where our finances were really bad. Just not, there was nothing in the account. And we were, we were supporting missionaries and we're trying to do the ministry. We're cutting back everything. Our teachers, I praise God for our junior church teachers and our, our teachers in the classrooms Wednesday night because we weren't buying new curriculum. I mean, these guys were, were taking old curriculum and revamping it and recreating it and trying to, like, make it new. And, I mean, we're talking for years, a couple, three, four years, they're, like, reworking old curriculum because we just didn't have the money to buy new curriculum. And we were at a point where, I always joke with Ray Garcia, who was our treasurer then. He's our treasurer now. He, he would come to my office and say, okay, preacher, I paid all the bills. We got 20 bucks in the account. And I'd say, praise God. Amen. That's good, okay? Because it's, I paid all the bills and we don't have, you know, we're in the whole 20 bucks. That's not as good a story, right? But there's lots of times he'd say, I had to take a little out of savings. I'm like, well, it's all right, man. We got you know, to provide for what we need to provide for here. And I don't know when it was. And it wasn't me. Someone came to me years ago and said, oh, it's your faith. No, no, no. Our church as a whole at that time said, man, we're going to believe God. We're going to trust God in this thing. We're going to be good stewards of what he's given us. And within about a year and a half, around 2000, mid-13, 14, somewhere in there, it started changing. He'd come in and say, well, preacher, I paid the bills, and we got 200 bucks in the account. Well, praise God. And we've been able to do ministries. And I, I said it before, just this last month, we support 11 missionaries at $100 a month. So you can do the math on that. Every December, because we want to be a blessing, we give an extra $100 for a Christmas gift to the missionaries. And this last December, our, our missionaries, the Tikas, and I shared this back in December, if you were here, our missionaries, the Tikas, are working with a building project in the Philippines. And they were looking for every one of their supporting churches to give $1,000. And we were able to send just a checkout December. We didn't have to do a love offering. We didn't have to come to anybody. We just said, hey, here, because of the generosity of North Goodland Baptist Church, we can do this. Here's $1,000 to go towards your building need. We just sent it. I mean, that wouldn't have happened seven years ago. And I'm saying all this to say this. God is so good. He will build his church. We need to believe that. Now, he may take us through a season where the finances aren't as great. We, tr we don't trust him more when things are going the way we want it to. We trust no matter what the circumstance looks like, and we're just faithful. Your eyes are on him and his kingdom. And so with our eyes on the kingdom, we believe we will make these kingdom investments in other people's lives. And so how do we do that? How do we make these kingdom investments in other people's lives? Well, the question we have to ask is, maybe that'll work. There we go. So how did the early church make these kingdom investments? How did the early church make these kingdom investments? Well, the first thing we see them doing is they evangelized. What is evangelism? Preaching the gospel. See, these are kind of our, 
if you want to say our, our purpose statement, our mission statement is to be a kingdom-focused church that loves God, loves others, and loves to serve. What does that look like? To be a kingdom-focused church where we focus on evangelism. We believe that we can make kingdom investments in other people's lives by preaching the gospel. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, write it down for notes. It, Paul's very clear on this. That the power of salvation, the glory of God in salvation, is, comes only through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So anyone and everyone. Now, I want to stop here for just a moment because in some, in some ways we think that if we do this program or that program or this method or that method or we change this or we change that, that that's really going to see life change in people's hearts and lives. And I'm not saying churches can't do things differently. I'm all about whatever a church individually believes under the guidance of their pastoral authority, says this is what we want to do moving forward. We're not violating any biblical principles. Hey, that's all great and good. But realize something. The, the, the music, the style of service, the time of service, none of that creates life change in people. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes people. The gospel is the power that God has given to the local church to preach the gospel, and that changes people. See, it's the power of God unto salvation, Paul says. And I know there's lots of methodologies and lots of things out there we can do, and it's fine and good, but listen, it's about the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, that sinless life was for you and I, by the way. He was the perfect sacrifice. He died on the sinner's cross, a, a payment for us and for our sin. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, and he rose again on the third day, showing that God the Father was satisfied with the sacrifice because Jesus rose again. Then he spent 40 days, roughly, training his disciples. Then he ascended into heaven, where he's seated on the right hand of the throne of the Father, praying for you and I. And any single human being on planet Earth, no matter what your background is or where you've been or what you've done or anything like that, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone in that his death, burial, and resurrection, you cry out and you say, God, I, I ask that you'd save me from my sins. I believe that you did this for me and I receive your grace and forgiveness. I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life that in that moment of belief, I'm not talking about just knowing the gospel, but truly believing the gospel, receiving his grace. The Bible says that you are saved for eternity. And praise God, you can't lose it either. You can't lose your salvation because of what you do or don't do. And you are saved in this day of redemption, the Bible says. And that is the power that changes us, not just in this world, but in the world to come. We went from a rebel sinner on the outside of God's family to graciously taken and adopted, Romans chapter 8, adopted into the family of God. Now we are sons and daughters at the table of God. And we, are, we have joy and peace and security. And not because of us, but because of him and his gospel. See, this is the foundation of the church. This is how the church began in the book of Acts. This is how the church grew throughout church history. It's not style and program or whatever else. I, I thought, well, if we do this, we'll get more people in. Maybe, maybe not. I know churches that are so different than us as far as their style of service. They got all kinds of labels now, right? And they're labeled this or that, but they're reaching people for Jesus Christ, and the church is, is, is busting at the seams. 
and churches that are more like our style of service that are reaching people for Jesus Christ. And so listen, it's not about the style. It's about the gospel. When Pastor Greg and I, we had a chance to go to a conference uh, over in New York with Word of Life back in October. And there was an individual there. I think he was from Florida. Maybe he was a pastor from Florida. And he gave an amazing talk on the power of the gospel and how it has to be foundational for everything the church does. And that in our day and age and all the ideas that come across the board and all the structures and schemes and, listen, we do a lot of great big things and programs, but you can get caught up in all that stuff and forget the point. Not against programs, but the program's not going to save anybody. It's giving the gospel through the program. Word of Life is a great example. It's our Wednesday night kids club. Word of Life is a program. It's a structured program. But we don't look at Word of Life and go, okay, this program will save the kids. This program will lead them to Christ. No, no, no. This is the track on which the gospel is communicated to those kids. And so understand, it's the gospel. It's preaching Christ that is the foundation of our church. And to be honest, the foundation of our own personal lives. The other way that the early church, we'll give you a few more of these, made kingdom investments was through discipleship. Discipleship. Now I'm going to move a little quicker through these. Uh, someone that's hungry says amen, and we'll, we'll move on. But the second one, now these are not in necessarily order. So when I say evangelism or the gospel is the foundation, these are all of equal importance in the church, and I believe they're equally important in our lives. So discipleship, this is teaching the word of God. This is communicating the word of God. The Great Commission, right? The idea of going unto the whole world, right? Teaching and preaching unto them. We preach the gospel and we teach and communicate the word of God so that a believer is strong in the word of the Lord. Discipleship is not just a class. It's not just a Bible study. It's not just a small group. It's not just Sunday school. It can take place in many forms. Sometimes discipleship is what we do on Sunday nights. Now, Sunday nights, if you've been, is more of a classroom style. We meet in here. Uh, Right now, we're going through the book of Romans, like literally just verse by verse through the book of Romans, unpacking that. There's conversation. There's questions. There's discussion. Uh, That's that discipleship setting. This is discipleship for some of us. Wednesday night can be discipleship when we get into God's Word and study the Bible and have time in prayer. See, discipleship can also be you getting together with somebody one-on-one and having a cup of coffee and saying, hey, how can I pray for you? What's going on in your life? How are you doing with this or that? That's great. Hey, listen, I was reading in God's Word this or this. Let me share that with you. And you're challenging them to get into God's Word. It doesn't have to be this structured program, or it can be. It, it, we put things in boxes, and we realize, man, discipleship is just about encouraging someone else to be like Jesus Christ, really, at the end of the day. And so discipleship is one of the ways the early church made kingdom investments in other people's lives. And we desire to do that as a church as well. We see the early church worshiping. Now, what do we think of when we think worship? Someone just tell me. First thing that most people think of when they think worship. Music, right? We think worship, music. Now, that could be any kind of music, but usually we attach worship and music together. We think that's just kind of how it goes. But worship is so much more than just music. It can be music, I've always shared this, and I think it's the best illustration I've ever seen of worship. When you study out the original word for worship, and you look at the word picture that is given to it, I believe it's in Strong's, gives this idea of a definition. The idea is of a dog 
coming to its master, and the master lays open his hand, and the dog licks the palm of the hand. This is an act of submission. This is an act of, you know, servanthood. I, I, I know you provide for me, and I need you, so I'm humbling myself under you. In the illustration, we're not the master. Okay? In the word picture for worship, we're not the master with the arms stretched out. We're the dog licking the palm of the hand. Now, for some of us, that's a really weird illustration, but understand what I'm saying here. When I worship God, it's not just in music. It's in my life. It's when I realize, God, you are so gracious to me, I just, I humbly bow. What does Peter say? Under the mighty hand of God. I submit myself under the mighty hand of God because I trust you and that you are good. And some of us say, well, I don't know if I believe God is good. I don't know if I believe God is good. You know, this happens in my life or that happens in my life. God has already proven his goodness to us through the cross, which we've already covered. Him giving his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins when he was innocent, that's the goodness of God. He's already proven his goodness and love to us. I have no right to now say, no, God, you've got to continually prove your love to me. You've got to continually prove your good to me. He's already proved it for all of eternity. He did the, the, the most loving thing anyone can do. He gave his only son that we might know him for eternity. See, worship is not just about music or church. It's about a lifestyle. It's about everything is submitted to him. I praise him because he is good and he is loving. Not only worship, but also ministry. Ministry is another way we see the early church making kingdom investments. What is ministry? Serving one another. This is what Jesus said, isn't it? No greater love than this, and a man lays down his life for his friends. You need to love one another as I have loved you. Serve one another. One-on-one or in general serving of the church. Our teachers that are teaching right now, and your kids are in their classes, or your grandkids, they're serving you right now. They're serving your children by teaching them the word of God, loving on them, encouraging them, praying for them. We have amazing teachers, the nursery workers, My wife's in there this morning. I'm not saying she's better than the other nursery workers. I'm just saying she's in there. She might be a little better. No, I don't know. I'm just saying. I don't know, okay? But those teachers, those volunteers, those workers are in there. You think of it like they're serving my kids. No, no, no. They're serving you and your kids. Because as they're coming alongside you as mom and dad, they want to not take your position but work with you to see your children rise up in the nurture and admission of the Lord. They're working with you, partnering with you to help encourage your kids or grandkids that they would come to the Lord. They're ministering to your children. They're ministering to you. How about the people that come out every single week, volunteer to clean this building, to vacuum these carpets, to clean the bathrooms? They're doing it not because they love cleaning toilets. They're doing it because they love the Lord and they want to minister. They want to serve. Those that work in different ministries, those that serve one-on-one, whatever it is, And this goes beyond the church walls, doesn't it? Your neighbor is sick or has a surgery. And you, not because the church said to do it, not because we had a ministry that made you feel bad that you weren't doing it, but you of your own said, you know what? They're not feeling good. They've kind of been down. Why don't we make them a dinner and take it over to them? Because I'm I'm sure they would like that. That's the kind of ministry we're talking about. It's just letting the worship, the love of God flow out of us. Another way that we can minister to one another and serve one another, and probably the greatest way, is to pray for one another. You want to know the great way to minister to someone else that you can't really minister to physically or financially? Pray for them. Pray for them. 
every uh, couple of weeks, every two weeks, we put out what we call our prayer guide. It's usually at the Welcome Center, unless they're all gone. Sometimes they just get all taken. But we'll make about 15 to 20 of those. Every Wednesday night, in our, in our time on Wednesday nights with the adults, we go through the prayer guide. Maybe not word for word, but we kind of look it over. We'll spend some time in prayer. You can take that prayer guide home and pray for those requests. You're ministering to those people. You might even not even know who they are, but you're ministering to them because you're praying for them. You're interceding for them. We also take prayer requests all the time on our prayer chain. Maybe you get a prayer chain and you're just praying for that request. You don't know them, but you're ministering to them. One thing that we started doing last year, and it's still kind of new, is after every Sunday morning service, we try to have a few people in the front row here, myself included, that will be available if anybody wants to pray with someone. So if you're a man and you want to pray with another man, there's some guys down here. If you're a woman, you want to pray with another woman. There's usually at least one or two ladies down here that would love to pray with you. And what we have is, and I'll show this to you real quick, on these little clipboards here, you, some of you see these on the front row, these are prayer kind of encouragement cards. And what this is, is if you want to pray with someone and there's something going on, th- listen, by the way, this is not counsel, okay? If you come up here and you're like, I'm struggling in my marriage, you're not going to get a seven-point point message on how to fix your marriage. That's not what this is about. This is purely someone saying, I want to pray with you about that. Let's ask God to work in that. Then if you feel led to go a little step farther, you can fill out this card or have them fill it out for you. At the very bottom, there's two questions we want to ask you. Would you like this request to be shared with our Wednesday night prayer group? Yes or no? Would you like a follow-up call about this concern? Yes or no? And so you have an opportunity to say, you know what, I don't know what to do about this, but I just want prayer on this. And somebody would pray with you and and fill the card out with you, and then this will come to my desk. And if you want it prayed for on Wednesday nights, we're going to put it around Wednesday nights, just on Wednesday nights, and say, hey, we want to pray for this request. Maybe it's an unspoken. You don't really know how to put it in words. Then write unspoken. You don't have to do this. If you want to come at the end of our service and time of invitation, we always offer on Sunday mornings a time to respond and bend a knee. If you want to come and just bend a knee and pray and ask God to work, you can do that all by yourself. You don't have to have someone with you. Maybe you want to come as a husband and wife or as a mom and dad or as an individual, whatever. But if you want someone to pray with you, somebody came to me last year and said, I really felt burdened to be available to people after service to pray with them. I thought, well, then guess what we need to do? And I, just so a warning, if you ever come to me with an idea for something, I'm going to say this. That's an awesome idea. How can I help you start that? Pastor Nathan knows what I'm talking about. That's a great idea. I love that. What do you need to help me start, have you start that? I'll be your biggest cheerleader. But I'm not going to do everything, right? We can't. Not, not one of us can do everything. This list is daunting if we think it's all us individually. But when we come together with the body of Christ... We start finding our gifts and talents and working where we can work, man, it becomes so much more achievable in our minds. And so maybe you want to come and pray and allow us to minister to you that way. The last one, and it's not any less important, so hear me on this now this idea of fellowship. This is the idea of growing in relationships in the church. This is more than a meal. And I want to go to 1 John. I wasn't going to turn there, but let's go there. 1 John. Number one, because it's a great book of the Bible. The name of the book is amazing and powerful. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. Now, when we think fellowship, we think what? Worship, we think music. Fellowship, we think... There you go. Amen, right? Preach, okay? Somebody said, well, you know you're a Baptist church if you have a lot of meals. No, you know you're a Christian if you have a lot of meals because every church likes to eat. I don't know any church doesn't like to eat. Okay? 
food, but fellowship can involve that, but it's not just that. It's not just food. You can have a meal with anyone, but the fellowship we're talking about is in the body of Christ, growing stronger in the relationships in and through the relationship we have with Jesus Christ. And so 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. But if we walk in the light, and this is a powerful chapter, by the way. I encourage you to study it out. The whole book itself is written to the early church, written to believers. And, and really, 1 John can be summarized as a test if you really know Christ. There's so many things in 1 John that really it's, it's kind of an encouragement, but also a test. You say you know Christ. Do you really know Christ? Here's the, the evidence of Christ, or you know Christ. Here's the proofs that, that John lays out for us here. He says, if you say you know Christ, that's great, but are these things in your life? If they're not in your life, then maybe you don't really know Christ. So it's a challenging book when you read it in the right context, but it's also a great encouragement when you realize, man, thank you, God, that you're allowing me to live this life this way. So 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, referring to our relationship with Christ, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You know what this verse is really kind of speaking to here? I say I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm walking in the light as he is in the light. And because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I can have fellowship one with another in the church. That our fellowship in Christ is connected through Christ. It's more than a meal. It's more than a get-together. It's more than getting together and watching the game. And it's all good. We can do those things. I'm not saying those things are bad or any less important to building relationships. But see it as more than that. That if you know Christ and, and you're having a lunch with your brother or sister in Christ and you're spending time with them, man, there's, there's something deeper than just we both like football or we both like hunting or we both like this. See, a lot of times we get together with people who we have common interest with. Nothing wrong with that. It's just how we are. All right? If somebody's a sports fan and you're a sports fan, you're going to probably hang out with them. If somebody's a big hunter and you're a hunter, you're going to hang out with them. Okay? Uh, if you're a mom and stay-at-home mom with certain age kids and you meet another mom who's stay-at-home mom with certain age kids, you've got a lot in common. Those things are fine and good, but those things are also temporary. Our commonality in Christ is eternal, and it's deeper than all that. So those things are good, but in the church, we can go deeper than just surface. We can go deeper than that. And that's what we see the early church doing. We see the early church doing all of these things, evangelism, discipleship, worship, ministry, fellowship. All of these things are happening in the early church in various ways, but each is vital to the health of a church. We can fall into thinking that we need to be a this or that kind of church. All discipleship, no evangelism. All worship, but no ministry. Some churches are geared that way. Uh, you know more about the worship ministry of the church than you do about anything else. Or they're really big in preaching the gospel, but there's no opportunities to grow in Christ. Or lots and lots of Bible studies, but never an encouragement to go preach the gospel. All those things are good to, to do and to be a part of, but as to be a healthy church, we need all these things. And in our own personal Christian life, by the way, we need all these things. It's great to study the Word of God, but we're not a sponge that just soaks up and soaks up and soaks up and never gives out. It's also great to evangelize and tell your neighbors and community and your friends and your family about Christ, but don't leave them as just baby Christians. Once they come to know Christ, come alongside them and get into God's Word with them to train them up so that they can go out and make disciples. But the key is it all starts and ends with the gospel. It all starts and ends with the gospel. So quickly, and you know what a pastor means when he says quickly, right? Nothing. Okay. 
Let's look at how this looks practically in our lives. It's like when a pastor says, and in closing, that means nothing to us, okay? Okay, how does this look practically in our lives? So Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. I'm just going to read these for us. And this is how it looks practically when we put all these things we just talked about. Okay, I know we're giving you a lot of material, but all those things I just talked about, we're putting them into practical, like, practice in our minds. We're trying to apply them practically. This is what it looks like. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. So this is the great commandments is what it's been summarized as. This is where Jesus is saying, how do you summarize all of the law and the prophets? I summarize it this way. Love the Lord your God with all of you and love your neighbor as yourself. This is only possible through a relationship with Jesus Christ. I cannot love God with all of me if I am in my sin. Only when I realize that God loves me and I receive his grace and the forgiveness of sins will I be able to love him fully and then love my neighbor in the right way. Many of us say, well, I can love my neighbor without Christ. I can be very moral. Most people can't do that because sooner or later, it's a selfish thing. I loved my neighbor. I helped them. I don't know. I helped this person move a couple times. And every time I move, they're never available. Okay? You might think, well, I'm not going to help them anymore because I'm not getting anything in return here. Okay? It's not Christ-like. Okay? That's not what we are called to do. But in Christ, I realize whether I get it returned to me or not, I'm serving and loving because I've been loved and served by Christ. Again, we touched on this a couple weeks ago with our New Year's idea of we do not want to make an emotionally charged momentary resolution that doesn't make it out of March. We want to be a living sacrifice as followers of Christ, dying to self and living for Christ and his glory. That way our lives will be a praise to him. See, once I know him, I can live this. Not perfectly, but I can live this. And this is how we kind of summarize our mission statement. Right? What was our mission statement? A kingdom-focused church that loves God, loves others, and loves to serve. The way we summarize that is a kingdom-focused church is a church that loves God, loves others, and loves to serve. That's how we define that. So let's break these down real quick. To love God. To love God. This is with all of us. This is with all of us. It's heart, mind, body, soul. I want to express that it's not just an emotional thing as a follower of Christ, but our minds are involved as well. Uh, Christianity is not just an emotional response. It's a, it's a conscious response. It's an intellectual response. It makes some decisions mentally. We love God with all of us. We do this only and through Christ. We love others. This is our neighbors, which is really anyone that isn't you, right? Who is my neighbor? The man asks Jesus. And he tells him this beautiful story about the good Samaritan. But really, the good Samaritan wasn't good at all, was he? He was just doing what any of us should do. But Jesus' point was, he was neighborly unto him. So how do I love others in today's politically charged, crazy world? How do I love others in the world we live in today? Well, the truth is, I don't have to agree with them or condone their actions to show them love. It means by grace, I love them as I love myself. I mean, I would take care of myself, so I will serve them if I can. Also, this will look different for us individually. We might be wired to show love with words, some are wired to show love with actions. Some are wired to show love with gifts of service or serving someone. However you are led to show the love of Christ is fine when Christ is central. Okay, let me say that again. 
However you are led to share the love of Christ with someone is fine as long as Christ is central. We're not all emotional people the same way someone else might be. You might not be wired that way. You may not say I love you very often, but you might show your love and pray, God, give me strength to grow in this area. We can't get it in our minds. It's got to look like this and look like this. It's just serving them as we have opportunity, which leads to the last point. We love to serve, maybe. There it goes. This is a love for God and a love for others in action. I can say I love God with all of me. I can say I love others myself, as my neighbors myself. But if I don't serve them, I'm not really putting it into practice. I'm not really following through with what I say I believe. We said this a couple months ago in the Good Work series that asked the question of what moves you to pray for the strength to stand and act? What moves you to pray to stand and to act? You may have a passion for the poor or a passion for kids. Whatever that passion is, a passion for the addicts, a passion for the lost, a passion for peer, people in your peer group. Whatever your passion is, what is God leading you to pray, to stand and act? The key is, as followers of Christ, we already have the desire from him to serve. We just have to love serving. Now, is that easy or hard? I'll tell you, it's hard to love to serve because serving people can be difficult. Why? Because people can suck. I'm just being real. Like, I mean, you serve someone, you love someone, you care for someone, and they turn their back on you and just, I'm done. You think everything's good, and then they just blow you off. But you just invested so much time and energy in serving them. It can really be hard. But the key is, I'm not serving them really. I mean, I am serving them to bless them. But more than that, I'm serving them because God has asked me to, and I want to honor him in all things. Not in a fear-based, if I don't do this, he's going to strike me down. But in a reaction to his great love, I need to show love to others. So if you serve someone and they turn their back on you, don't let that rock you. Say, God, they're in your hands. I'm, I'm going to trust you in this, and I'm still going to be there when I can. But what is that area? What is that thing that God is calling you to? Why do we desire to love God, love others, and love to serve? Why does this even matter? Why does this even make a big deal? Because we have a mission field before us right here in Lapeer County that needs Christ. I want to share this one more real slide with you guys. 88,020 people in Lapeer County as of July 2018. Okay, I don't know what you thought about that. When I saw that number, I thought, wow, that seems kind of high. Okay. But 88,020 people, according to a census, in Lapeer County as of July 2018. Now, just a little reality check here. There's about 75, roughly, somewhere in this area, 75 churches in Lapeer County. Last time I checked, every one of those churches isn't running like 11, 1,200 people. That tells me there are people that need to be reached. That tells me there's people that aren't in church right now. That tells me there's people that don't know that God loves them even potentially. And so why is it so important to be a kingdom-focused church that loves God, loves others, and loves to serve? Because God has planted us in this community at this time to make a difference for him. And to make a difference in someone else by making kingdom investments in their lives, by preaching the gospel, to show them and communicate to them the love of God for them, that they would be saved and changed for eternity. Now, I know it is intimidating to feel like, can I really do this thing? Let me encourage you. You can share Christ with your neighbors. God will give you the strength to do that. You can share Christ with your coworkers. God will give you the strength to do that. You can love your neighbor as yourself. But the key is, Lord, help me to be in the right communion with you. That I know you as my Savior, and I'm focused in on you as a living sacrifice so that I'm able to see these opportunities when they come. We have been planted 
in Lapeer County for a purpose. And I believe we need to be on board with God's will in this county and say, God, we're going to be about your will. We're not here to build a name for ourselves. We're not here just to get a crowd together on a Sunday morning. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Jesus was the worst church planner in history. Let me say, you just said he builds this church and he's building his church. Yes, but in our understanding of church planner, he was the worst church planner. He'd get thousands of people together. I mean, thousands. And they're seemingly on, okay, we want to kind of know more about this Jesus thing. And he says, oh, thanks for coming. Uh, To follow me, you have to drink my blood and eat my flesh. What, what do you say? I mean, I thought I'd have to give a couple bucks on the tithe plate. I didn't think I'd have to eat flesh and drink blood. Like, what kind of church is this? Okay. I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to be your disciple. But first, can I go home and say bye to my parents? No. No, you can't go home. If you go home and say bye to your parents, you won't come and follow me. You won't be my true disciple. Man, Jesus, listen, I want to follow you, but my father just died. Can I go to the funeral? No. I mean, these are the things that Jesus said. You might say, he didn't say that. I mean, read the gospel of Luke 9, Luke 9, Luke 10. He gets into all this stuff. My point is this. He was not about building a crowd. He was about building a church. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, man, we're not here to just build numbers. I want people to come to know who Jesus Christ is, to taste and see that he is good and then surrender their lives to him individually. And as a church, we come together to serve one another and serve our community. Now, again, this looks different for every church. And I don't want to be like any other church. I'm not trying to be like any other church. I want to be the church that God has called us to be. And, and listen, I'm not saying we're better than the church. Of those 75 churches, I don't know how many are truly preaching the gospel week in and week out. Because guess what? I'm here with you. I don't know. I pray that the vast majority or all of them are. I'm going to guess it's not true, but I'm praying it. And you know what? If another church in our community explodes and hundreds of people come to Christ, man, I'm praising God for that. I can disagree with them on doctrine and on points of disagreement and what they believe about certain things. We're not going to compromise our beliefs. We're not going to compromise our doctrine. You know, there's things we believe the Bible teaches. We're going to hold true to those things. We're not going to water those things down. But I believe it all starts and ends with the gospel. And so how can we keep our kingdom focus in 2020, individually and as a church? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would lead God and direct in all that has been said and done. Lord, I thank you so much for the faithfulness and the attentiveness of these that are here this morning. I pray, Lord, that you have been glorified in what has been said and done this morning. I pray that you'd be honored and that everything will bring praise and honor to you. Father, as we spend just a few moments of invitation, I pray that we would respond as you see fit, that we would open our hearts and minds to you and be drawn to you, maybe to make a decision we need to make or make some changes in our life. Maybe there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ. I pray that if they don't know Christ, they would not accept. I pray that they wouldn't just merely accept you into their life, but I pray that they would have an encounter with Jesus Christ. And I pray that they would come to know that your love for them is greater than any sin they've committed. Your grace is for them. And that they will confess their sins, repent of their sins, and trust in Christ as Savior that you can save them. I pray they'd make that decision, Lord, as you lead and guide through your grace. Bless now this time of response. We ask in Jesus' name.
Amen. Would you stand to your feet as the praise man leads the song of invitation? How are you being led to respond? Whether they're in your seats, maybe you want to come and pray. Just follow him and respond to what he has for us this morning.